You're listening to Offscript, the Atlantic Canada Politics Podcast. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm your host. This week, we're talking about the new bike lanes coming to Halifax. Last Tuesday, Halifax municipal councillors voted in favour of approving a one and a half kilometre stretch of protected bike lanes on South Park Street in Halifax. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Kelsey Lane, who is the executive director of the Halifax Cycling Coalition, a group that has been leading the charge for more and better bike lanes in Halifax. When the businesses were opposing the bicycle lane, they said, well, if you take away parking, it's going to kill our business. So you go out and get the data and actually around 70% of people are arriving by bus or walking or biking. So kind of... We'll talk about the changes coming to South Park and as is often our focus on this podcast, explore the how of what happened and the kind of behind the scenes online and quite literally on the street work that went into pushing and succeeding in getting the kind of changes approved by Halifax Council last week. And so you, our listeners, are aware, Kelsey is one of the members of our board of directors here at Springtide, the organization that produces the Offscript podcast. I wonder if we could just start to get you to explain, you know, exactly what you see the decision that got made uh, on Tuesday at council as as doing, as achieving, and, and what are the sort of the, are the physical changes that people are going to uh, notice on South Park as a result of what happened? So... What got approved on Tuesday was a protected bicycle lane. And so for those who don't know what that is, it's just a bicycle lane that has a physical barrier between the person on a bicycle and the line of traffic. And that barrier can be anything. It can be a post, it can be a planter box, it can be actually a parked car. And so uh, South Park Street is really exciting because we only actually have one other protected bicycle lane in Halifax. And it's Where's on, that? It's on Rainy Drive. Okay, I didn't realize there was one there. Yeah, it's very short. It's uh-huh. uh, less than one kilometer. So, um, And this one's one and a half kilometers? Yeah, about 1.2 kilometers, which is pretty exciting. And um, But it's on a, a main strip. Like South Park Street obviously connects to Spring Garden Road. And it's a very right. traveled area. So what, that, what it looks like is essentially... Um, uh, in some areas, they're going to use parked cars to protect that bike lane, but in other areas, they're actually going to use the planter boxes, which will add that kind of beautification element to the street, but most importantly, it, it makes it safer. We have 60% of people that say, you know what, I would try riding a bike in Halifax, but I currently don't feel safe. Right. So those protected bicycle lanes are so important because they actually get more people riding, not just kind of accommodate the people who are already on a bike. Yeah. And I didn't realize the scale of it. I think I saw the one and a half kilometers and I thought, hmm. And then I realized that that represents something like 55 parking spaces, um, which I know is a a sting for some people who are on the opposite side of this issue than you guys. But that's a huge that's a huge amount of of street space. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because. Actually, currently the way Halifax is built, uh, the lane widths are a lot wider than is the standard. So um, the minimum requirement for a lane width of a a traffic or a car lane is three meters. And a lot of our our widths are actually around four to 4.5 meters, which when you think about it, that's a lot of of wasted space. So in a lot of cases, um, we don't even have to build out our lanes. We just use the space that's, that's currently there. Um, and yeah, parking is always something that comes up, you know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about 55 spaces and it it may sound like a lot, but in the back of the report, you'll see a a study that showed how many spaces are actually available in the area and it's over a thousand, like they have to think around 450, yeah, 
450 on street and then um, over 455 off street in the underground parking. They have there's more that they're adding to all around the area, but it's uh, it's really tricky because people, you know, they think that the value of or public space should be used for private parking, which is uh, a conversation that we always end up having. But mm-hmm. um, when you look at it, it's, you know, only a small percentage of the overall parking in the area. And I wonder if you could maybe uh, paint a bit of a picture f- of what uh, the state of uh, actor transportation and I guess uh, bike accessibility of the city is right now and uh, not so much in terms of uh, where I guess the direction is headed because I know there's uh, a new mobility plan but sort of like the state of kind of actually what you see and what you experience when you go out as a cyclist today. Yeah so um, if we didn't have any plans in place or if you're from out of town and you first start riding in Halifax, it's pretty grim. Uh, You'll notice like there's not a lot of bicycle lanes and the ones that we do have aren't really connected uh, to where they need to be connected. Mm -hmm. And then we have other bike lanes that are just like so poorly designed, you can't even use them. So Mm. um, for example, Hollis Street, it always comes to mind, but you have parked vehicles on that lane, which means, um, you know, the person on a bike is forced out into the line of traffic and everyone is just angry because the person on a bike is like, this should be my space. And the person driving a car is like, well, you know, it's perfect spot for loading so why not and it's uh it's actually just like a really poor design and um an example of of one that doesn't work but yeah so i think you know we have all of these goals at at least at a higher level that's how i see it you know we have Mm -hmm. all of these goals around greenhouse gas uh, emissions trying to reduce those we have uh, goals around health sedentary behavior is the biggest um issue that that we're dealing with at least at the on the, on the health side of things, you know, how do we get people moving? And mm-hmm. um, of course, related to all the chronic diseases. And then there's the, you know, the economic side about we have all of these plans to densify the core, but we actually can't afford to get everybody in there by car. So there's all of these kind of intersecting issues and it all comes down to to how good our transportation systems are besides the ones that move single occupancy vehicles through our city. Right. So active transportation definitely plays a role in that, but we haven't got the facilities to encourage people to want to walk or want to bike. Uh Uh-huh. And so I guess that's kind of the reason your organization, Halifax Hiking Coalition, exists. What's your general approach as an organization to making the kind of changes or, or influencing the kind of changes that happen at council this week? Yeah, so we're very data data heavy. We love data. <laughs> we pull it from any place we can get because some of the issues are actually counterintuitive. So, for example, on Agricola Street, um, when someone was asked, you know, uh, when the businesses were opposing the bicycle lane, they said, well, if you take away parking, it's going to kill our business. So you go out and you get the data and actually around 70 percent of people are arriving by bus or walking or biking. So mm-hmm. it's kind of we, we love that. That's really effective. And, and does that change minds uh, amongst business owners? Not so well. It, it causes the business owners to pause and think a little bit, but it's actually more effective for the counselors because hmm. in some ways they've made these plans and they made these commitments, but they need to have a response when the businesses come at them and, and say, right. you're, you're killing our business, you're, you know, you're anti-growth, all of this kind of stuff. And so um, we find that really effective, just kind of thinking about what the other side of the issue is, what are their concerns, and then mm-hmm. finding and data mining for that. I'd say the other really key thing that we do at the HCC is um, 
we connect to the why, we connect to all of the different policy objectives. So whether you're coming at it from somebody who's really interested in improving health or really interested in improving the environment, there's all of these reasons and all of this data that shows how it, how it connects to those issues. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other pieces that we're really clear with what we want. Mm-hmm. Protected bicycle lanes that are connected is pretty much sums up what our goal is for this city. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have any of that right now, but we've started building that conversation. So yes, the people like myself who work here are very well educated, but so are all our members. Like you ask any one of them, right. how do we change that? What do we need to improve transportation in the city? And they have the answers right there. So that's been really helpful too. Uh-huh. And so I, I, what's... Uh want to get a bit into some of the minutia uh, around like how you actually deliver that message where would where do you concentrate your efforts when you have to uh, push for something like this yeah so we definitely rely on our membership base because at the end of the day i can call the counselors and they're they're listening but they actually only um really have their authority in themselves to to make a decision based on how their constituents are are informing them. So we mm. really make sure that we have a broad base of, of members that are from all different districts and that when a decision like this comes up, they know exactly how to respond and that's right their counselors. So we can, for example, we had over 100 emails um, sent out to counselors within 48 hours of uh, of an email being sent out to them being like, if we, mm. don't, if we don't tell them what we want, if we don't pre- tell them the preferred option, then they may have How do you track that? Different thing. Um, we ask them to CC us, so oh, okay. that's just what CC'd. Others, you know, I'm sure there'd be people that aren't comfortable CCing, so there's probably more than that. Yeah, definitely. Maybe the ones that didn't agree, <laughs> maybe more than that. But um, yeah, we're really we uh, they're they're very engaged, and I think they understand their role as well. So when we have these these great wins, um, mm-hmm. I always make sure to let them know that they had a part in that. It's not just the HCC, but our ability to organize that kind of message and make sure it's really clear and really strong so that when the time comes they're ready and we just kind of do it that way Hmm. if i can add one thing just like i think another role of the halifax cycling coalition is destigmatizing cycling and i say that because there's this idea that uh when you say the word cyclist so you're automatically thinking of somebody in spandex but we (laughs) we often don't think of of you know the, that person as a person and so we really try to change the conversation and not say cyclist but say person riding a bike because that same person is probably someone who also takes transit and also is walking and huh. so really kind of using that person first language because otherwise it's so easy to paint a brush with like all cyclists but really right. we all use different forms of transportation all the time um so really this is just about providing more choice and uh-huh. um that really seems to resonate with with a lot of folks as well yeah, you're right. Cyclist does have that sort of athletic connotation to it. Like, yeah, definitely. And people like, it's funny, you ask people who bike to work every day and they're like, I'm not a cyclist. Like, I don't. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, I'm, I don't associate with that. I'm just someone who rides to work and gets on the bike to go where I want to go. And like, that's the, that's yeah. our membership base. It's those people that are just thinking about it as second nature, which in other places that have been really successful. Like you look at Amsterdam, you look at um, anywhere else in, in Europe or Canada. And 
yeah, you ask a person on the street, they're like, what's the big deal? I'm just riding a bike. Like, right, I'm yeah. not a you don't need a label. <laughs> don't need a label. Don't need any uh-huh. of that. So how do we normalize something that for other places is just so everyday? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so it sounds like your approach is very decentralized and getting you know the people on bikes themselves to send these emails. Mm-hmm. Um, is there... A centralized element to it too like is there um i guess when i think of think city council i often think of sort of uh you know there's not whipped votes there's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. to have influence and like you know play on the uh i guess the vanities and like the sensitivities and sympathies of individual counselors is there that element to this as well Ooh, totally um <laughs> yeah when i first started the job i i actually took the time. It was right before the election. So I met with every candidate. And this um, is back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So I met with all the candidates and um, all of the counselors that were uh, looking to run again. And that really helped too, because for the people that got elected for the first time, they already knew what our ethos was. We weren't kind of coming in after the fact. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, to start to know the counselors personally, we talked in their district. So you have a little bit of a sense of, of where they're from, which I think is really important because you need to be able to frame your issue from their perspective and you have to take the time to listen to them. So, for mm-hmm. example, if I'm talking to a rural counselor, uh, if their constituent is driving 40 kilometers away to get into the city, maybe they're, they're thinking, wow, we need those parking spots, but how do you reframe that conversation? So mm-hmm. we'll say, yeah, we're not saying your person should, or your, yeah, your constituent should ride in on a bike, right. but the people that can do that, it's better for your people because there'll be less traffic and the spots will be available for the people that really need it. Uh-huh. Um, whereas the, the more uh, urban counselors you know exactly kind of what their issues are and and where they're coming from. And Tim out here loves trains. <laughs> he said that all the time. So you know his priority is trains. And so uh-huh. like how does bikes feed into that bigger transportation system? Um, others are worried about businesses. And I think in the back of their mind, the election is coming up relatively soon. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to figure out how do we get this win in time so that it looks like a win um, by right. the time that, um, yeah, we're ready to, to start running again. So I don't know. I think that's the biggest thing is just try to reframe your argument as in to cater mm-hmm. what their experience is and not always push the same message from our point of view. Offscript is produced by Springtide, and if you enjoy listening to what we have to share each week, we encourage you to support our work through a small monthly contribution at springtide.ngo slash offscript support. Your support means we're going to keep bringing you podcasts like this one and the ones you've been hearing over the last few months. It means we'll be able to put more time into finding and sharing more interesting stories about people trying to make an impact through politics without destroying themselves or the fabric of democracy in the process. It's been a while since we've asked you to contribute, and we know our audience has changed. For every current supporter of the podcast, there are another 33 people just listening to each episode. If you're one of those supporters, thank you for your contribution. You have kept us going. If you're one of those 33 people just listening, welcome. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, this one is on the house. But if you've been listening for a while now, 
we hope you'll give us your support. We're hoping for small amounts from each listener. You can contribute three, five, seven dollars a month to support the podcast. You can do that over at springtide.ngo/offscript/support. Something that makes our appeal different than those you might hear from other podcasts is that ours comes with a nice perk. Because Springtide is a registered educational charity, we offer our supporters a tax receipt, which means you pay less on your taxes when you support us. So if you want to support us, go to springtide.ngo/offscript/support. Where does the broader agenda of Halifax Cycling Coalition fit into um, this particular decision? Like, is this something that uh, I know generally it's sort of coming from the integrated mobility plan, which is probably a, a word that means relatively little to most people listening. Is this the kind of thing that the opportunity came up and you're sort of like, here's our chance, let's um, get people to vote in favor of this or tell their counselors to vote in favor of this? Or was there more of a long game approach like you guys saw this coming for a while and you know had been expecting it and were able to slant those seeds early on you're nodding yeah unfortunately um everything's been a long game at this point we've been waiting for years for protected bicycle lanes to even be considered as the right kind of infrastructure for our city so Mm -hmm. um you know paint on a line that no one really cares about is easy to do but actually building it right for the people who need it is another story because we're Mm -hmm. talking about a public right-of-way that people who have been using it for parking um think that it belongs to them so it's kind of like it's it's it takes a while to start getting staff and getting counselors and getting the public to think about public space differently like Mm -hmm. who is that space for and maybe it's okay to share it in certain routes and so um for the integrated mobility plan we worked with the consultant continue like continuously just letting them know that we wanted that mm-hmm. minimum grid of protected bicycle lanes in that plan. Mm-hmm. And we were really strong at that point too, just making sure at every every engagement meeting we could probably like spew out that whole presentation time right. and time again. We watched it so many times. So that actually got in the plan because, because of our advocacy work. Um, and then the tricky part after that was just making sure that when the time came for, for example, for a decision like South Park Street, that the words that we've been talking about for years and years and years, because mm-hmm. this was, you know, originally in the center or in the in the regional plan, um, and then in the active transportation plan in 2014, and nothing really got done. And then now the IMP, the integrated mobility plan, is just another plan. So it really actually came down to this moment, to mm-hmm. an opportunity where South Park Street is coming up for renewal. What are you going to do about it? Right? Are you going to? be true to your words and follow these plans and put something on the ground or is it just lip service and so I think the counselors actually realized that as some of them mentioned it in the debate like we we have to do something now we've talked about it for so long right yeah I think I read somewhere maybe it was from a reporter covering council or one of the counselors on on twitter saying something about you know this is essentially the first test of whether the plan means something because other plans have come forward and haven't passed the the test when an actual decision that would impact people's lives came through. Definitely. It's funny. It's like when it comes down to doing that hard work of making the tough decision, uh-huh. people are, they change their minds. It's, it's funny. It's like, it's all good until you have to do that hard work. And so 
surprisingly, even though South Park Street was such a win, it took so long to get there. Mm. Um, We'd been talking with the Spring Garden Road Business Association since 2016 and actually asked staff to make a couple different versions of that plan, not just do, um, you know, no bike lane or protected bike lane, but actually look at the range of options. So it was great because option 2a was actually an idea of the hcc we talked to spring garden road business association said this might be a possibility let's push staff to explore it further um but then when it came down to the feasibility of that it was obvious it wasn't the right choice it meant taking down an entire tree line meant moving a sidewalk over it meant moving utility poles so Mm. the cost of the lane that they chose was around four hundred thousand dollars compared to and that was called option two compared to option 2a which would have saved 17 parking spots but would have cost upwards of one million probably two million dollars to implement Hmm. so all of a sudden you know you you play the long game in the sense that you're you're anticipating what people might come up with as an alternative solution and you push for that to be considered right from the get-go so that when counselors are looking at that paper they're saying okay 17 parking spots not worth you know upwards of a million dollars we'll go with the one that that uh, makes more sense yeah I think just listening to you talk about this, it it reminds me, I guess, one of the things I was thinking we should talk about during this conversation is just the reality of how much work it takes to be uh, up on all of the numbers and to be able to like show up at these meetings uh, with more than just like a kind of a a knee jerk, angry opinion that says, I want more bike lanes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think oftentimes, you know, we see all these names of organizations uh, that are outspoken on issues in the press. And, you know, sometimes there's like absolutely nothing other than like one person with, uh, you know, an agenda behind it or, or, you know, an organization with like lots of members that give money and, you know, support. And I think you're the first executive director of the HCC. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I I just think that's important to note for people that like change doesn't happen because, you know, sometimes it does, but it doesn't necessarily just happen because three people get together and put ideas out there like there's so much work that goes behind the scenes that it takes to get these sorts of things done and I think you can probably speak to that as well as anyone um, especially being the first I guess executive director and, and just knowing the the workload that comes with this kind of stuff yeah I think you ask any nonprofit executive director and they'll probably uh, yeah tell you they don't count their hours because it's definitely yeah. not a nine-to-five job I mean most of the meetings that you need to be at are at night or when it's kind of inconvenient. And um, the most important thing I think is, uh, yeah, it's hard to find the balance between doing enough research that you're coming prepared to that meeting and to that argument and and um, also making sure that you're taking care of the rest of the organization. Right. For example, advocacy doesn't just happen like showing up and going to a meeting. A lot of um, the things that I make sure that I do in my role is to get on the street as much as possible. So if that means waking up at 7 a.m. to give out coffee to cyclists between yeah uh-huh. 7 and, and 9 a.m. people who bike I should say sorry that. <laughs> then um, and the people in spandex and the people in spandex of course then you do that because that's right. when you that's when you figure out what you kind of take a pulse check and see where everyone is and maybe the most important issue to them is the bridge flyover and when is that getting done and um we want to we want more advocacy on that and maybe it's something else so i think yeah advocacy doesn't just happen in a room or Mm -hmm. uh, reading a piece of paper you really have to get on the street and talk to people that you 
definitely don't want to always talk to you. I mean, <laughs> businesses are sometimes tricky. You really have to make sure that you're doing that work, right. um, getting uncomfortable. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. I think that's the, the hardest part is making sure that you're pushing your boundaries enough that yeah. um, you're covering all your bases and, and you're not taking the easy way, just talking to people that are like-minded or mm-hmm. um, even people within our own community. I'm sure it's like politics as well, but there's different yeah. kinds of, of cyclists or people who bike. Like um, they have different concerns and, and they don't always agree, but making sure you understand as much of that as possible is super, mm. super key. And um, yeah. Thing I didn't realize, but you guys, uh, I guess having the advantage of being able to spot your constituency because of the equipment they're carrying. Yes. <laughs> like if they've yes. got a helmet or if they're riding their bike, that's a huge advantage over a lot of other like advocacy. You can't always see the people who agree with you or who are likely to agree with you just by looking at them. That's, I didn't Definitely. think about it. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it's super, it's super helpful. Um, and I guess the other piece is that we have an extremely active board of directors. Our chair is phenomenal. She mm-hmm. um, works for another organization. So we're in all the meeting, same meetings together and we can kind of talk about it afterwards and, mm-hmm. and get into the, the details. And then in addition to that, um, we have professors on our boards and lawyers and the whole work so they really understand the depth of the issue um and they're working all the time in their own realm so at the university you know keeping an eye on that bike lane making sure they're getting the right meetings and the Mm -hmm. letters of support from their own institutions and um that we're getting those research papers that we need or if it's the motor vehicle act that our lawyers are kind of flagging the pieces that are inconsistent so Mm. i think it's it and then yeah all of our volunteers i mean so many volunteers. This is a volunteer-run organization before I came on board and still remains to be. Uh-huh. They're just so, <laughs> so consistent and so great um, because it's, yeah, I think I think the other piece is like you have to let go sometimes of the ownership that mm-hmm. an organization may feel over an issue. So um, sometimes it's, you know, you want to be the, the first person to get the message out or um, have that first stance written so that everyone's sharing your tweet or your blog post. Mm-hmm. But it's actually really nice to kind of sit back and watch your members do that for themselves and have that research themselves. And then yeah. you can repost what they're saying. That's the piece. It's like kind of counterintuitive, but it's actually way more powerful when you're talking about advocacy because yeah. you can really show that it's coming from the community and it's not just this all powerful bike lobby always making the decisions yeah. on things. And I think there's something behind that that like people don't necessarily trust an organizational voice, regardless of how good the organization is, as much mm-hmm. as like someone with a face and a personality of their own. And organizations have the power to push that and amplify it. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What what what's next now that we've got this? I mean, oh my gosh, so many <laughs> so many things. I think this is like again, it's. It's, it was a success, but it didn't come without a lot of work. And um, the network they want to now try to complete by 2020. So we have a lot of these uh, different decisions coming. We have to do that same kind of research and that same kind of outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also kind of working on a provincial level, too. So the Motor Vehicle Act is uh, really interesting because it's written for cars. Mm -hmm. but it applies to everyone on the street. So whether you're walking or whether you're riding a bike Mm. and there's things in there that are just um, surprising and it's actually the way it applies to people is not consistent and not just in our opinion. Mm. So for example, um, the act of opening a door and hitting someone on a bike is not prohibited. So if someone does that to a person on a bike, then there's no way they can really get a ticket because there's a word for that, isn't there? 
Dooring. <laughs> yeah, you get doored. The door prize, it's not the one you want. Um, but like just other things, like it, it sounds it sounds ridiculous, but if you, for example, um, in the Motor Vehicle Act, you have to signal all the way through your turn. And that's, of course, written for cars, but think about it if you're on a bike and you're trying to go down a hill safe, yeah. and you have to take your hand off. Like legally, you have to do that. But um, it's just, yeah, it's totally written from the perspective of, right. of vehicles. And that so actually, what are you looking for? Like a, a bicycle safety act or? A- no, there. So the province has said for years that they are going to update the Motor Vehicle Act and call it the Road Safety Act, which okay. is fine. Uh-huh. But there's been no movement on that at all. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's so problematic is not just from the personal injury side of things, but from the infrastructure side of things. Legally, we're not allowed or the municipality isn't allowed to put a cross ride in. So that means like you don't have to get off your bike to to go through an intersection and walk across. You can just ride all the way through a crosswalk or a bicycle signal, which is best practice in so many other cities. We can't put it in. It's not in our act and it's not legislated. Um, So we have... I don't understand. What are you trying to put in? Uh, So a bicycle signal. So some places they have a bicycle priority signal that allows someone on a bike to kind of ride through priority. Um, Or a bike box that allows you to kind of, uh, it's like pavement markings on the street. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to kind of be visible in a line of traffic. So you're allowed to kind of sit in that box. And cities and towns can't do that on their own right now. In Nova Scotia, no. In Uh other provinces, yes. We're like so far behind on all of this stuff. Uh So you have the city that's, that's making or wanting to make really good plans for bicycle infrastructure in the province, mm-hmm. holding holding them back essentially. So it's funny, we're the Halifax Cycling Coalition, but we kind of have to move up the ladder in some cases for this because, right. for example, the bicycle um, bridge that is on the McDonald Bridge and is scheduled to be constructed very soon has some of these infrastructure pieces in the design, but will never be able to be implemented if that act isn't changed very mm. soon. So there's a lot of pressure from different places, but I think that's our biggest uh, our biggest piece right now. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does not sound like there's nothing for you guys to do. Yeah, no, lots to do. And, and yeah, we do pilot projects as well. So that's really exciting where we actually, yeah, try out things on the street. The city wasn't collecting enough data from our standards. So we bought the, the bicycle counters and hmm. installed them on the street as well with the help from uh, Dalhousie University in the city and things like that. So if there's some, if there's a gap, we try to fill it. I think there are a ton of lessons for people trying to make a whole bunch of kinds of changes in addition to mm-hmm. uh, bike and active transportation advocacy. So thanks for uh, thanks yeah. for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. That's this week's episode of the Offscript podcast. Offscript is a podcast produced by Springtide, and we are a Canadian charity committed to helping people lead change through politics with their integrity intact. Find us at springtide.ngo, facebook.com slash springtideco, or on Twitter at springtideco. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Coffin. Subscribe to the podcast, search for Offscript wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to this show on a web browser, you can also subscribe for email updates in the right-hand sidebar of this post and get a message whenever a new show is released every Wednesday. Share this podcast on Facebook or Twitter. You can find an easy-to-share link at springtide.ngo slash OS28. That's for Offscript episode 28. If you like what we do, support our work. You can chip in $3, $5, or $7 a month over at springtide.ngo slash offscript support.
Oh, I was going to ask you. Yes. Um, do you get jokes about Kelsey Lane for bike lanes? All the time. The Metro <laughs> loves doing that. They'll be like, really? new bicycle lane, Lane said. Like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the protective bicycle lane gets a lot of, a lot of innuendo jokes there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there.